to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Very good. Yes, well, so last week, Jill kicked off our series looking at David, looking at David, the shepherd boy called to go out to the front line, facing Goliath, being overlooked by his dad, but being anointed king. And so this week we come, ironically, I would say, to David's years in the wilderness. And I'd like to suggest that these years, these 13 years in the wilderness that David experiences, are both his most difficult and possibly the best years of his life. Up until this point, the shepherd boy has been anointed king. He's defeated a giant. He's been welcomed into the palace. He's become a mighty warrior. God has blessed his hand at everything that he's done. The servant girls are cheering his name. Everything is going as you'd imagine it might when the prophet comes and tells you that you are the Lord's anointed and you are going to be king. But then the story turns. But before we get to that, I just want to say a little bit around Scripture as a whole. Because what we get in the life of David isn't a whole list of theological abstractions. We don't get a whole list of learning points. It's not a presentation. What we get in David, and actually what we get in most of Scripture, is a story. The Bible in its most part, is the story of God's dealing with humanity and humanity's dealing with God. It seems that the way that God likes to reveal himself most fully to us is through story. And in the person of David, we get more story than any other person in all of Scripture. So as we come to these passages today, this is a story about David's dealing with God. This is the story about God's dealing with David, but it's given to us to reveal something of what happens when the divine mixes with dirt, when earth mixes with heaven. And David is not the perfect story of man's dealing with God. It's the real story of a real person dealing with a real God. And we come to the moment now where David finds himself in the wilderness. David deals with God primarily in the wilderness. The famous preacher Spurgeon said, Where there is faith, there will be trial. Anyone who has any dealings with God will inevitably, at some point in their lives, experience the terrifying reality of the wilderness. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it in his book about David, Leap Over the Wall. He says it like this, and I'd love you to think through whether or not this sort of describes you this morning, or maybe describes someone that you love or cares about. Eugene puts it like this, there are times, no matter how thoroughly we're civilized, where we're plunged into the wilderness. Not a geographical wilderness, but a circumstantial wilderness. Everything's to, everything seems to be going along fine. We've learned the language, we've got a job, we've decorated the house, we've signed up for car payments, and we've accepted responsibilities that somehow define our significance. But then suddenly we're beside ourselves. We don't know what's going on within us or in another person who is important to us. 
feelings erupt in us that call into question what we've never questioned before. There's a radical change in our bodies, our emotions, our thinking, or our friends, or our job. We're out of control. We're in the wilderness. And there are a thousand things in life that can conspire to throw us into the wilderness. The job doesn't come through that you are promised. Someone you care about betrays you. The diagnosis is worse than you hoped for. The sums don't just seem to add up. Or maybe you don't even know how you got here. But you find yourself internally a little bit like this. This is the wilderness outside Judea. This was David's wilderness. This was Jesus's wilderness. And the wilderness inside of us is just like this. It's a place of scarcity. It's a place of confusion. It's a place of worry. It's a place where peace and encouragement feel harder to find than ever and easier to lose than ever. And this morning is for those people. It's for those of us who do feel beside ourselves, who feel out of control, who feel in the wilderness. And let me start by saying the wilderness, the wilderness can be both a terrifying place, but it is also a place of great opportunity. In David's story, it's all going well. It's all going good. Everything seems to be lining up. And then suddenly the king that he serves is possessed by jealousy and rage and tries to kill him six times. He fleds into the wilderness and we find that he's there for 13 years. It is a vast expanse of badlands. It's harsh and inhospitable. The only animals for company are hyenas, lizards and vultures. Water is hard to come by and it's full of caves and caverns. And throughout all of scripture and indeed all of church history, the wilderness has served as a place of significant testing and trial but it had also served as a significant place of growth and promotion. We see it most clearly in the life of David, in the life of Jesus, in the life of all of the Israelites. There is something unique that happens in our lives in the season of wilderness. Now for David, what we get to see in his story is that the wilderness sits between the promise of being king and being established in the palace. There is something between the promise and the palace, which is a process, which it seems like the wilderness provides the exact circumstances that God uses to turn a trusting shepherd into a trustworthy king. There is a place of testing and trial that happens in the wilderness between the promise and the palace that shapes David into the man that God wants him to be. And as Jill told us last week, God's testing isn't pass or fail. God's testing is reveal and reform. And so to be clear, God doesn't send the wilderness. We know the Bible tells us that none of these temptations come from God. But the broken world has enough wildernesses that we find ourselves in them. And God uses them for his purposes for David, the wilderness proved to be a place where everything he believed about himself and everything he believed about God would be put under question. And I wonder for him, at different times during those 13 years, where he has been nothing but faithful 
And he finds himself time after time on the night watch, wondering about how he got here. What comes bubbling up in you at those points? What comes bubbling up when you find yourself lost in a dry and barren wasteland? And we've used this imagery before, but I think it's a helpful one, and it's one that gets used at different times throughout Scripture. And when you're trying to remove gold from ore, what happens is you get gold, you get ore out of the ground that you know contains gold, but it's also mixed with all these other impurities and things. And the only way, the only way to get the gold out is to place it under extreme heat and extreme pressure. And as the thing begins to turn into molten liquid, what happens is all the different components begin to separate out. out, And gold sits to the bottom and all the impurities, all the mud and dirt and dust begins to come to the surface. And as you see those things, you get to come along, you just get to scrape them away. And I think that is sort of what's happening here for David. I think it's what happens when the wilderness seasons of our lives, whatever puts us there, that incredible heat and pressure that we experience, we, we see. We begin to sense inside of us certain things coming to the surface that the Lord begins to reveal that he might reform us. I was once talking to a guy who owned a fishing farm which I don't do very often, you'd be surprised to know. But I was speaking to this guy who owned a fishing farm, and, uh, and we'd actually experienced that year a very um, mild winter. And I knew he loved to sit out there fishing all day long. And so I go to him and I'm like, oh, it must have been nice that it was a very, like, very mild winter this year. And he looked at me and he shook his head, as only an old fisherman can do. And, uh, no, was that bad? And he was like, well, he actually, he owned this fishing farm. And he said, Adam, you see, the problem is a mild winter means that none of the weeds die out. We really need a bitter winter to kill those things off. Because otherwise, when the abundance of summer comes and all that sunlight and life and nutrients, those weeds that should have died off in winter but didn't, they begin to choke the life out of all the things you want when the abundance of summer comes. He looked at me and he said, Adam, the only thing that prepares for an abundant summer is a bitter winter. And I think that's true for our own lives as well. There is something that happens in the bitter winter in the wilderness that prepares us for the abundance of summer. I think there's something that happened in the life of David during those wilderness seasons that revealed something to David about himself, something to David about God that prepared him for what it was going to be to be king. Between the promise and the palace, there is a process. The book of James puts it like this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and lacking nothing. That you may be complete, not lacking anything. So ironically, what James is telling us is that these moments of scarcity, these moments of trial and testing, they actually remove lack in our lives. They actually remove the thing. They are what God is using to create wholeness, completeness, maturity in our lives. But you know what James said? He says, you know. Say that, you know. Do you know? Do you know? When you face trials and testing in your life, do you know? Because I think it's important that we know. 
it's important that we know that when life seems to throw these things at us, God is doing something behind the scenes to create something of maturity in our hearts. And it's important that we know. We don't always know how God is doing it, but vision gives pain a purpose. And in those moments, knowing that God is working behind the scenes gives vision to what we're walking through. And so how do we survive the wilderness? Well, why don't we turn to Psalm 63, the book of Psalms. So much of it is the prayer life of David and it's honest and it's raw. And this is one of the Psalms of David in the wilderness. And I'm just going to read it. It's 11 verses. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And, and, and in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you, I think of you through the watches of the night, because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you and your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed, they will go down to the depths of the earth, they will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God, and all who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. So the wilderness seasons, they come, they reveal and they refine us. They're a place of questions where lies and distorted perspectives and beliefs get revealed, but they're a place that require incredible focus. David says that during the wilderness, on my bed, I remember you. And in the night watch, I think of you. Just picture him somewhere in there, in that barren, barren um, vast badlands, sat in a cave night after night. Having been faithful, King Saul pursues him in jealous rage. During those nights when it's quiet, he remembers the Lord. To stay encouraged, he meditates on the promises of God. In the night watches, I bring to mind everything that I know of you. And in my experience, we come to these seasons of life where we find ourselves, for whatever reason, in a wilderness just like this, and our focus has to narrow right down. There are times in life where maybe you can go to bed and look at the news and wake up in the morning and the first thing that you look at the news and it doesn't discourage you. But then there are other times where I think, the, the situations in life require incredible focus. The Lord's calling us to be more mindful, to meditate more strongly on the word of God, to, to focus right down, knowing that other things rob us of our courage, rob us of our peace. And the Lord is saying, focus right down. You know, it's easy to sing that God is all you need until you find that God is all you have. But these moments invite us to fill our minds and our hearts and our souls with the promises of who God is. And I, and I think, and in my experience and talking to people in my own life, it's these seasons where actually God reveals himself to us and he becomes real to us in a whole new way. I remember my life really changed one time when um, 
do you ever have that moment where you go to a shop and you try on an item of clothing and you think, this looks great, and then you go home and you try it on and it just doesn't look good anymore? Anyone had that? Yeah. And I just had, I think I had a friend over the time, it was like a jumper or something, I went home and tried it on and I was like, oh, it was one of those moments. And I was like, why is it that it kind of looks good in the shop? And then he changed my life when he just looked at me and went as casually as anything, oh, that's because of the thinning mirrors. It's like, excuse me? It is, oh, you know, shops, you know, they put a slight bend on the mirrors so you're a little thinner and a little taller. I was like, no. Apparently they do. Apparently you really do look a little bit better in the shop when you try it on. So it's like you, but you on a really good day. And I think we spend all sorts of our lives looking into misshapen mirrors. We're looking into mirrors and they're sort of the truth, but they're not the whole truth. They're sort of what God is like, but they're not really what God is like. They sort of say something about us, but they're not really what we're like. J.I. Packer, the famous author, puts it like this. A half-truth masquerading as the whole truth becomes a complete untruth. And we spend our life walking through the world and all sorts of half-truths try and get into our mind about who we are, about who God is, about the path to the good life, about what we're called to be and who we're called to be about what God is going to be for us in our lives. And in my experience, there is nothing like the wilderness seasons where God comes in to our house of mirrors with a sledgehammer. And he comes in and he says, all right, all these things have bubbled to the surface. Now let's deal with those. You've been walking around believing half-truths, believing lies. That's what Pete talked about two weeks ago to kick off this year. The two first questions, do what do we really believe about God And what lies is the enemy really trying to tell us? And so one is focus. I was listening to, um, I had the privilege of going to a conference this week with Pastor Rick Warren, you know, famous author, leads a big church in America. And he's just someone who seems to have like run the course well. Despite incredible suffering, he's just been faithful. He's just served the Lord. There's no crisis. And he was talking about that. How do you run the course well? What do you put in your life to just set up disciplines that help you to stay encouraged and faithful? And he had one that was so simple, but I think it's absolutely brilliant. And he says, what I do, and I've been doing it for years, is I leave a Bible open on my bedstand. And I leave it open because an open Bible is much harder to ignore than a closed Bible. And he said, there's all sorts of research into how important the last thing you think about at night and the first thing you think about in the morning are. And so he says, I just leave it there and I start reading before I go to bed and I read until a verse jumps out to me. Just, I feel it. It feels like the Spirit's on it. It says something to me. It moves my heart. And I just stop. Sometimes it's one verse. Sometimes it's a whole chapter. And I go to sleep. And that is the last thing I think about. And then when I wake up, it's still open there on my bedstand. And I start from the verse below the last one that reached. And I just read until it happens again. And it means that I start every day. And I go to bed every night meditating on the word of the Lord. And then... I remember someone saying, he said, if you spend your time meditating mostly on the news, then your discouragement is (laughs) self-imposed. 
It's so true, right? So often what we do is the last thing we flick on is the news. The first thing we flick on in the morning is the news. I wonder how much our lives would change if we just put little disciplines in, just like David, where we've filled our mind with the promises of God. Day and night, night and day. So that's the first one, focus. The second one, faith. So David spent 13 years in the wilderness and there's all sorts of ups and downs. He isn't faithful through the whole wilderness. He makes lots of mistakes. He lies numerous times. But there's a moment in it which must have been the lowest point for David. He's been in the wilderness for a number of years and during that time a whole group of outcasts and misfits have gathered around him. It's just clearly the leadership gift upon his life. And the Bible says that he's formed them into a mighty army, the mighty men of David. And they're off fighting a battle and then suddenly while they're away a different enemy comes to their um, base and ransacks it. They take all of their possessions and they take their wives and their sons and daughters. And we read this, it's going to come up on the screen in 1 Samuel 30. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all of the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in his God. Now, it's a bad day when your friends are trying to kill you, right? You know, we get the enemy trying to kill you. It's a bad day when it's your friends trying to kill you as well. And this is the people that David has taken from being outcasts, misfits. And then suddenly he is suffering in the same way that they are. But because they're so bitter in soul, they look to stoning him. But it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. In moments of weakness and fear and discouragement, how do we learn to minister to ourselves? Maybe the most important conversations of your life will be the ones you have with yourself. Or, as famous preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones put it, we're so often too busy listening to ourselves when we should be preaching to ourselves. How do we preach to ourselves? How do we minister to ourselves? David was greatly distressed. There are moments where we are, let's be honest, greatly distressed. But somehow he strengthened himself in the Lord. In Psalm 103, it says, David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Worship his holy name. Forget not all of his benefits. David spoke to his soul. And I believe that's because his soul must have been in chaos at that moment. And so he looks inside of himself and he says, no, bless the Lord, O my soul. He strengthens himself in the Lord. He speaks to himself. He doesn't listen to himself. He says, forget not what the Lord has done. Jill talked about it last week, but somehow this little shepherd boy faces Goliath, surrounded by fear, like everyone on God's army, was terrified of Goliath. But David knew that the Lord had delivered him from the lion and the bear, and so he could stand before Goliath. Now, you'll be surprised to hear, I have faced neither a lion nor a bear in my life. But I have gone through periods of great discouragement. 
I remember when Hannah got incredibly sick in the middle of lockdown and I didn't know what we were going to do. We couldn't get a hospital appointment. I didn't know. My whole life went into chaos. I remember that time when I didn't get the job that I was sure I was going to get. I remember those times when I felt great anxiety and I didn't know what was going to happen. And every single time when I look back, the Lord came through for me. I don't know how to face this next thing in front of me. But I do know that I've walked this far and God has come through for me every time. You have your lions and your bears. Do not forget them. Do not forget what the Lord has done for you so that when you face the new thing in front of you, forget not all of his benefits. And when your soul feels in chaos, you speak to it. You don't listen to it. And you say, bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not what the Lord has done. So one is focus. Two is faith. And number three, friendship. There are times when we have to speak to our own soul, but there's other times when the Lord puts people around us who speak strength back into our hearts. In 1 Samuel 23, we read about a conversation between David and Jonathan. The whole way through David's life, well, the beginning part of David's life, Jonathan is this source of incredible strength for him. And there's this moment in 1 Samuel 23 where it says this, While David was at Horesh in the desert of Zip, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Notice how similar the language is there. And helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained. And so Jonathan comes here. He sees David in pain. And he reconfirms what the Lord has spoken over him and he reconfirms his commitment to David. But I feel like that last line is so interesting. Then Jonathan went home. Jonathan's home was the palace. Jonathan went back to the place that David should have been going to and David remained. David remained in the wilderness, but I wonder if the wilderness didn't remain in David. There was something about Jonathan coming and speaking speaking faith and strength back in to David. And so who are your Jonathans? And who are you Jonathan to? Who are the people in your life? Pete said it two weeks ago, cynicism is contagious, but so is faith. Who are the people when you know in these seasons, when you get around them, they speak faith back into your heart? Or maybe you're doing well right now. Great. Who is the Lord wanting you to give faith to? I wonder if there's some people you need to reach out to today. Some people you need to offer to have a coffee with. Some people you need to offer to pray with. You know they've been struggling. You've just been a little bit too busy. Who are those people that you can speak strength back into? And so we find David and he walks through the wilderness focus and faith and friendship. And then finally, after 13 years... Saul dies in battle and David is made king. And what's interesting in these moments is that something has happened. Something has happened between the promise and the palace that shapes David to being the king that God wants him to be. 
Now, he doesn't get everything right. We'll look at that over the next few weeks. But it's so interesting. The very first thing that David does is something that Saul never did. The ark of God, the very presence on earth of the living God, Saul just left in someone's house for years. David comes in and the very first thing he does is he moves the the ark from Obed-Edom's house back into the center of the city. And it says that Saul didn't obey God because he was afraid of the people. David, in bringing the ark back in, he's just been made king. The very first thing he does is he makes himself undignified before the people in service of the living God. There is something that has happened in David in the wilderness that has so built his reliance on the living God that he knows that the same God that sustained me in the wilderness is the God who will sustain me in the palace. And we see that he he achieves things that Saul never did. He brings the ark back into the city. And so I'm going to invite the band up and um, we're just going to respond to this. And so we find ourselves here, as I started, perhaps in David's best, even though they are his most difficult years. Because in these seasons, and in my experience, the wilderness seasons offer us a gift. It's what James is saying. There is something that God seems to uniquely be able to do in the wilderness seasons of our lives. And so maybe for you this morning, that's you. You find yourself there. And I'm just going to read that Eugene Peterson quote again. And I want you to be honest. Is that you? Or is that someone that you love? That find yourself there. And if it is, then I just want to invite you to respond this morning. And I think the response is, you know, David never tries to get himself out of the wilderness. In fact, he gets given the opportunity. Saul comes into a cave where he's hiding and he gets given the opportunity. Everyone's saying is, go kill Saul. This is finally the Lord has delivered him into your hand. And David says, no. I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. David never tried to get himself out of the wilderness. But he did know his job was to stay faithful and faith-filled in the wilderness. And I believe that what the Lord is doing this morning is he's wanting to invite people back in to saying, God, I don't know how I got here and I don't necessarily know how I'm getting out. But I know that you will be doing something behind the scenes this morning. I know that what the enemy meant for harm, Lord, I trust that you can turn it to the good. So why don't we stand to our feet? I'm going to read this and I'm going to pray. If you'd like to come forward, we've got a prayer team here that would love to pray for you. Maybe you'd like to pray with the person you came with. Just respond in the quiet of your own heart. Why don't you just become aware of the presence of God? He's here with us. We believe that by faith. So there are times, no matter how thoroughly we're civilized, where we're plunged into a wilderness. Not a geographical wilderness, but a circumstantial wilderness. Everything seems to be going along fine. We've learned the language, we've got a job, we've decorated the house, we've signed up for car payments and we've accepted responsibilities that define our significance. And then suddenly we're beside ourselves. We don't know what's going on within us or in another who is important to us. Feelings erupt in us that call into question what we've never questioned before. 
there's a radical change in our bodies or our emotions or our thinking or our friends or our job. We're out of control. We're in the wilderness. Lord Jesus, we know that the wilderness experience is one that so many of us will have to walk through at some point in our lives. But Lord Jesus, we thank you that the promise is that you are with us. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will not fear because your rod and your staff, they comfort us. And so Lord Jesus, Spirit of the living God, for everyone who finds themselves here and they feel out of control, they feel beside themselves this morning, I pray, Spirit, you'd come and minister to their hearts the promise that what the enemy meant for harm, Lord, you will turn it to the good, that behind the scenes you are revealing and reforming, that you're shaping us as the author and perfecter of our faith. And Lord Jesus, I pray you give us the tools to minister to ourselves. Lord, I pray when you need to come, you need to get, take a sledgehammer to some of those misshapen mirrors that lie to us about who we are, that lie to us about who you are. I pray, Spirit, that you'd come and do that, that you would, as you promised, lead us into all truth. And we ask this in your mighty and powerful name. Amen.